Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Tan and I talk about a concept that Tan recently introduced to the Asian efficiency team that has already provided revelation and breakthrough into some of the key problems that we've been trying to solve for a long time. It's a bit counterintuitive though, so in this episode, we're gonna talk about how you can actually go faster by slowing down and developing a habit of thinking time. I know it can feel weird to stop and think about your work instead of constantly doing it, especially if you're overwhelmed, but the clarity and focus that comes from making this habit and implementing it correctly will save you a ton of time and effort in the long run. But in order to implement it in a way that actually works, you have to have the right mindset and mental framework in order to work through the problems that you are facing both personally and professionally. And in this episode, we explain how to implement these frameworks effectively. We've also got a special download which includes a list of thinking time questions that you can use to get started that you can get for free by going to the show notes at theproductivityshow.com slash 162. And now, on with the show. All right, I was told recently that I need to introduce myself on the podcast. So this is Mike, and with me, I have Tan. How are you doing today, Tan? <laughs> hey, Mike. I've never heard your voice before. Is that really you? <laughs> it's me in the flesh. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about something that Tan actually brought up to the Asian Efficiency Team a couple of weeks ago during one of our team training sessions. And this is something that I, I have heard about before, but the way that you presented it kind of blew my mind and I've been geeking out about it ever since. So I'm really excited to talk to you today about thinking time. Yeah, this is a presentation that I did internally with the team, like like you said, Mike, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's one of those really powerful tools that is not talked about often. Is There's very little material out there. So I hope by doing this podcast with you today, we can talk a little bit about this really powerful tool and uh, kind of share with everybody that's listening a way to think about problems and solving them faster and more effectively. So the, just to set some context here, all of us here like to work on ourselves. We like to be more productive. We like to grow. We like to improve ourselves. And one of the things that comes with growth is new challenges, but also new opportunities and problems. And so anytime you're go up at next level, whether that is in business or your personal life, things will always change. There's going to be new sets of problems, new sets of challenges, and new sets of opportunities, right? So if you think, for example, about Asian efficiency, as Asian efficiency has grown since 2011, the problems we were having at the beginning were very different than we're having today, right? So the challenges we had in the beginning were, how do we get people to know about Asian efficiency? How do we attract customers. And nowadays, it's a totally different set of problems. Nowadays, we have things like how do we keep our customers or how do we uh, make more customers happier? And so we have all these different challenges as we grow. And it's the same thing in your personal life. You know, I know, Mike, you got a fifth kid on the way that's going to bring new challenges and complexities, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, if I look at my personal life, one of the challenges I had in the beginning was like, how do I make more money? And you know, as, as business grows and things go better, then changes come in where, you know, now I'm starting to think like, how do I save more money or how do I reinvest some of my money? And so 
anytime you have growth, it just comes with new sets of problems and challenges. And sometimes we just don't know how to identify them, but also how to find the real problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's funny because you're talking about new challenges, new problems. Uh, and you mentioned the fact that I've got a fifth kid on the way. Uh, I've got four boys and the fifth one we already know is a girl. So I'm expecting a whole new set of challenges and, and uh, opportunities there. Uh, but I, I'm curious, Tan, if you could comment real quickly on, and I know we'll get into this a little bit later, but just real briefly at the beginning here, uh, any experiences that you've had where this thinking time has actually allowed you to differentiate between those opportunities and problems? Because I think a lot of what category those things fall into depends on your perspective. Yeah, so I have a bunch of examples that we'll walk you through later uh, in this episode. But the basic premise is really that, and you're going to hear me say this over and over and over again. You've probably heard me talk about this internally with the team, but also for the listener here is most problems you think you have are not really problems. They're symptoms. And the way this will manifest itself will be really clear by the end of the episode. So if you stick around all the way till the end, you'll start to see that most problems you have are not really problems, they're symptoms. And this is gonna sound really counterintuitive, but trust me, by the end of the episode, you will get it. <laughs> nice. Uh, also, you, you talk, you have in the show notes here, You know, how do you solve these problems thinking time? I think thinking time also helps you identify which problems you really wanna solve. Uh, we even had a, a little bit of, of this in uh, in a meeting today where we were talking about, okay, so what's the real problem that we wanna solve in this specific situation? And some of the stuff that, yeah, we could address, we realize that oh, maybe it's not worth tackling that right now. Instead, we should focus on this this particular thing just to make sure that the job gets done and we're meeting the specific needs at, at this particular time. Yeah. And at this point, OK, you might be thinking, OK, Mike, Tan, what is thinking time really? What are you guys talking about? So let me just give you uh, like my sort of version, definition, whatever you want to call it. So thinking time is really what it says it is. It's you spending time actively thinking about something, whether that is a problem, a challenge, a solution, or whatever you're trying to figure out. You're really actively spending time thinking. And this sounds really weird, but when you really, quote unquote, think about it, we don't spend enough time really thinking about stuff. We're just so occupied by being busy um, doing stuff, creating stuff that we don't oftentimes take the time to reflect and think about stuff. And I want to make sure I say this now. Reflection and thinking are two separate things. Reflection is is more like you're just wandering around. You let your mind kind of wander and just let it go and you'll just go with the flow. Thinking is really deliberately trying to have your thoughts put in like a focused direction. So uh, as we go through the episode, episode, you'll start to see what the differences are, but I just want to make sure you uh, get that clearer because uh, I noticed in, in the forum that we have as part of the dojo, our private community and our training library, uh, somebody asked us, hey, what is thinking time? How do you guys implement it? And one of the things that was kind of confusing there, and I used to, used to make the same mistake, was reflection is not the same as thinking time. And so I just want to make sure we clear that up. Yeah, which reflection does obviously have value in itself. Uh, Brandon Wentland actually did a great job talking about that in the journaling module. 
Uh, there's a question in the Slack channel here, Tan, which uh, maybe you know you can answer this later if you want. But uh, Nate had asked, "Is thinking time similar then to deep work?" Uh, no. So you can think of thinking time as like deep thinking. <laughs> so if deep work is where <laughs> you spend actively working creatively and doing stuff and creating value in an uninterrupted environment where you're just flourishing, think of that, but then for just thinking. So imagine yourself in an uninterrupted environment where you like to be, it's very comfortable, it's super quiet, and all you do is just think. So instead of working, you're thinking. So instead of deep work, you're doing deep thinking. Yeah, and uh, um, one of the things that you had put in the outline here, and this is from your your presentation that you gave to the team as well, is this quote by Abraham Lincoln, you know, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. Stephen Covey would call it sharpening the saw. That's really what you're talking about here, where you have the thinking time, which is going to direct the work that you actually do. And because you know the direction that you're going and the outcome that you're trying to achieve, then that makes the work that you're doing during your deep work time more effective. Is that is that a fair summary? Yes, exactly. Yep. And what's really key about thinking time is that you want to do it as much as possible before you start any endeavor. So that's the way I look at it is like, for example, when we um, start planning our quarter, I want to spend as much thinking time as possible because those decisions we're going to be making together are going to affect the whole quarter. And if we make the wrong decision and we don't really think it through, we're going to run into trouble, you know, midway through the quarter or whatever, right? So whatever habit you want to pick up, whatever project you want to take on, a goal you want to take on, a whole quarter of focus, um, you really want to make sure you spend enough time thinking about stuff uh, before you really commit to something. And then you start to see that, okay, you don't actually have to do this, you know, once a year for your New Year's resolutions, right? That's when most of us kind of like do thinking time. But you can do this on a daily basis or if not weekly basis, and we'll walk you through exactly how we do it and what you can do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, what was the tipping point for you with this? Uh, I know like you gave this presentation to the team and you encouraged everybody to develop their own habit of thinking time. Did this kind of come from the quarterly planning sessions that we had been doing or what was the inspiration behind presenting this to the entire team? Uh, so I think there were a couple things. One is I wanted to create a common language that we all had because I had this powerful tool in front of me, but I couldn't really explain it to you and Brooks and the rest of the team to say, hey, we need to do more of this. And if I told you guys without actually teaching you guys, like, what is thinking time? You guys would be like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so, And now, you know, ever since we had the presentation, there were instances where we talked about, hey, I think it would be worthwhile for you to spend some thinking time on this. And you guys would know exactly what I meant, right? Yep, exactly. I mean, Lisa in the the chat mentions all this time. I thought I was thinking when, in fact, I was reflecting. I think that defining it was really important for the team. So exactly that exact scenario. Yep, and I, I remember we were talking with Brooks about something for uh, for our operation stuff, and and with you for the dojo stuff. Like, there's always uh, opportunities to bring that up, but I just wasn't really sure how to bring it up in the past. And uh, one one of the motivations for me, at least, was to do to bring it up so that we had a common language that could always talk about it. And you knew, you guys knew exactly what we needed to do. The second thing was what it really got me started was. 
as I was studying other people who were really successful at what they do, whether that was business, sports, uh, you know, celebrities, musicians, one of the things I noticed is that one, they're very deliberate about what they do. And especially in business, most of the CEOs, they spend a lot of time on strategy. And I never really understood what strategy was. And I never I really got a good grasp on strategy and how you got good at it. But really what it comes down to is actively spending time thinking about stuff and solving problems. So when people in business talk about like, you know, spending spend a lot of time on strategy, you got to figure out the best strategy and, and, and work on that. What they're really saying is you have to spend time thinking. And so I noticed a lot of people in business who were really successful, they spent most of their time either thinking or building relationships, right? So if you look at, for example, somebody like Mark Zuckerberg, like he is not doing much of the work anymore. What they're, what he's really doing is building relationships. And uh, these could be either for, you know, politics reasons. For example, you know, he's trying to get Facebook into China and make sure it's adopted there. In order to do that, the biggest domino that needs to fall there is, is that the government has to agree that there's no filtering and stuff like that. So he's building relationships there to make sure that happens, right? And so most of the CEOs spend most of their time doing that, uh, either you know for politics, like I said, or for hiring people, finding talents, and stuff like that. The other thing that they're doing is spending a lot of time thinking about stuff. So this is really a result of coming up with new business strategies. Like how do we grow the company? How do we make our customers happy? How do we lose less money and and all that stuff? So that kind of inspired me to kind of go down that rabbit hole and I started to just, you know, hanging out with other people. I started to notice they did similar things. And it wasn't until I went to a, a scaling up seminar, I think it was a year and a half ago or so here in Austin. And they were talking about like, are you spending enough time thinking? And I was like, uh, I spent maybe like an hour <laughs> a week really thinking about stuff. And I remember the, the instructor saying, hey, you know, you should really spend 20 hours a week thinking about your business. And, and, <laughs> and I was like, 20 hours? Like I can barely get 20 hours of you know focused work in a week, like let alone 20 hours of thinking. So that kind of got me down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And I love the scaling up framework. Uh, we've mentioned before on the podcast that that's what we use to do our, our quarterly planning and stuff for Asian efficiency. Uh, it's definitely something that I would recommend people use if they're looking for a framework to help kind of guide their their thinking time. But I think you touched on a really important problem that a lot of people experience, and that is you know, they know that they need to think about the problems that they're trying to solve, but the tendency is just to say, I'm too busy. I've got too much work to do, which is why this is such a, a counterintuitive solution to actually getting your work done. Exactly. And it's the same thing with meditation or something like exercise, right? When we're so busy, when we don't know our priorities and what's most important, we just tend to shove everything aside. And so I'm sure you've had encounters where you wanted to push exercise aside or you wanted to put sleep aside. But once you really thought about it, you know, you, I'm pretty sure you flipped your decisions. Actually, I need to go to bed right now. I need to be sleeping, not working or reading <laughs> or whatever. Right. Yep. Yeah. Actually, it's a, I, I'm glad that you brought that up because literally I'm right in the middle of this and I face this on a regular basis because I've shared with the team and maybe even on the podcast here, but I am actually not a runner, but training for a half marathon. <laughs> and I've experienced what runners call the runner's high, where the coach that I'm working with, he basically says, you know, 
on, on Tuesdays and Thursdays where I'm at right now, for example, cause I run three days a week, like do something easy, like three to five miles. And then Saturday, the one day a week, like really push yourself every time it gets to be Saturday and I'm putting in the long run, which I'm now over eight miles, which before the summer, the longest I ran was like three and a half every Saturday morning. I feel terrible and I'm like, I should not even go because I'm not going to, I'm not going to be able to finish. (laughs) And then you get going and you experience that runner's high. And it's, I'm always amazed at how easy it is to finish because once you start going, uh, once you push yourself past that, past a, a certain point, the endorphins kick in and it just makes everything else so much easier. Man, kudos for you for doing that and putting in the work. I respect that. (laughs) <laughs> well, I haven't run the half marathon yet, so <laughs> we'll see if, uh, see if I actually get there. But uh, so far, it's, it's going going pretty well. I can only imagine right now how tough it is, especially here in Austin, because I don't know if you guys know, but the Texas heat is like unbearable. Right now, it's like 105 degrees, which I think is like over 35 Celsius. So you guys can only imagine how hot it is right now. And I'm pretty much like a caveman the whole day, just inside. And I come out late at night. But uh, (laughs) yeah, kudos to you for doing that. Well, it's significantly cooler here in Wisconsin. In fact, if I run in the morning, it's sometimes below 70 degrees. So (laughs) see, I, I would be happy if that was the case here, here right now. In August, even in the morning, it's still bloody, bloody hot, as the British would like to say. So <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I got to wait till like mid-September or something. Yeah, I have to admit that I, I despise traveling to Austin in the summer because I am just not built for that heat. And I, I hate going outside. Like as soon as I leave your building, I start sweating. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, just to get back to you thinking time. Oh, so the other thing that um, really kind of got me on that path was I went to a seminar, I want to say earlier this year. Yeah. Or maybe last year. So it's called the four day MBA by Keith Cunningham. And it's something that's really changed my perspective on a lot of things. And um, it's actually a summer I want to send you and Brooks to because I think it's so damn good. It's one of the best seminars I've ever been to. And it really changed my thinking in a lot of different ways. And, uh, and I, I can't wait for you and Brooks at some point to go because once you get how Keith Cunningham thinks about problems and obstacles and business stuff in general, I think you'll really be like, whoa, like, why haven't we figured this out before? Like, this makes a lot of sense. But one of the things he, he teaches in there is thinking time. And so the, the concept is really from him. He's the one that sort of popularized it and everybody else in the literature online kind of like took it from him. And he got it from a investor. And, and so the story goes like he, in the seventies, he was like pitching this like new business that he was doing. He was trying to like merge all the big cable companies and stuff like that. And there was this one guy he had to meet that was gonna make the biggest like investment. And so he made his pitch and you know, he was like waiting for a response from the guy sitting in front of him. And he said, you know, hold that thought. Uh, I'm going to get back to you. I just need to think about this tomorrow at 4 a.m. And he was like, 4 a.m.? What? What? <laughs> and, he, and he said, yes, that's my thinking time, 4 a.m. I'll get back to you. So a couple of days go by. He, this guy literally wakes up early, just spends time thinking at 4 a.m. And then go back to him and said, okay, let's go ahead and do this. And so the, the, this, this was the story that inspired Keith to then start incorporating thinking time in his own life. And, 
he's he even said and just just so you know uh keith cunningham is actually if you read the book rich dad poor dad keith is actually the rich dad in the book so if you've read mm, the book okay. that's him the the rich dad so it's kind of like i mean uh, a lot of that stuff is kind of like half made up half true but the inspiration of the book and the rich dad is keith cunningham he and he happens to live here in austin which is kind of cool and so, yeah, so that is really uh, what inspired me to kind of like step up my game because I used to make that mistake that I see people are having in the chat as well. It's like thinking that thinking time is reflection and letting your mind wander about something. But when I went through the seminar, I got really more clear on how you how you actually implement it. And at the end of this episode, we'll have a defined process that I'll walk you through on how you can implement it. I really like that idea of putting the thinking time at the beginning of the day. Well, I'm probably not getting up at 4 a.m. to do my thinking time. Uh, I, I do like the idea of incorporating that maybe even into your morning ritual where you have a regular set time to actually implement this thinking time. But I know you mentioned we'll, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. So uh, what are some of the ideas that you got from the, uh, the thinking time that you started implementing, uh, like what, what were some of the gains that you saw right away? What were the big light bulb moments, the inspirations or revelations that, you, that came when you started implementing this? Yeah, when I first started implementing it, I kind of um, did it in two ways. So the first thing I did was I kept the book scaling up. And I would bring it with me to the coffee shop. So I think you guys have uh, talked about this before, but I always go on Thursday afternoons to the same coffee shop that is literally one block over. <laughs> and I get the same thing, ice cream, tea, unsweetened. And I just sit there and literally just work through the scaling up book and try to think about stuff that we could do for Asian efficiency, right? And so that was kind of like my handicap just to get started. And then over time, I got rid of the book. And then before I would leave my place, I would come up with a problem that I was trying to figure out. And then I would just leave my laptop at home, just bring pen and paper and just go there, get the same iced tea, sit down and just figure out, okay, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve and really trying to address here and how do we overcome this? So in the beginning, it was like very Asian efficiency related stuff. And then over time, I incorporated like my personal life stuff. Uh, so for example, one of the things I would, one of the challenges and things I wanted to figure out is like, how do I place myself as much as possible in, in Asian efficiency? Or um, how can I take a vacation for like two weeks without checking stats? Like that was one of the problems. So not the heat, you know, a huge problem, but it was one problem that I was trying to figure out. Um, same thing in my personal life. Like one of the things I was trying to figure out is like, what actually makes me happy? And it kind of sounds like a simple question, but but when I was going that rabbit hole, I actually tried to really figure it out. And it was actually very different things than what I initially thought, right? So initially I thought, I was like, oh, I like collecting Louis Vuitton stuff for it. It was like, I like my Apple MacBook, you know? But then when you start <laughs> to dive deeper, it's actually, actually what makes me really happy is having unique experiences that I can reflect on. And when I figured that out, I was like, oh, that actually changed quite a bit of how I do things now, right? So for example, uh, later this year, I want to go to Spain. I just booked my ticket. I'm going to attend a uh, game between Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona. They, they're called nice. El Clasico. I've never been, <laughs> but it's always something I've been wanting to do. And, uh, and then I realized like unique experiences make me happy. And so uh, those are some of the ideas that I picked up. Um, did you have any when 
when you sort of got introduced to this or just from reflecting in general? Yeah, uh, this was something that really clicked for me when you sent me to the Entree Leadership Summit, the the one day thing, which was in Chicago, because uh, when I got done, you basically asked me what were the big takeaways. So it was forced thinking time, (laughs) but it forced me to process what I had learned and what I heard. Uh, Also, what I saw, that was the big thing for me is seeing something that not necessarily was explicitly talked about or presented as a formula, like this is the thing that you need to do, but just observations that I saw. And then when I had that thinking time to, to, to think about, you know, where do we go with our community, with the dojo, uh, that's when the pieces kind of fell into place. So I think that that's different than the reflection process that you're talking about because I'm applying it to a specific problem in the business, which is literally how do we grow the dojo? How do we add more value? How do we make this community even more awesome? But I guess you can correct me if I'm a little bit wrong in that definition. <laughs> no, that makes that makes sense because thinking time is, is a powerful tool in the sense that it, it forces you to kind of like dig deep inside and extrapolate all the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years and actually apply it, right? Because your level of thinking can only be as good as the knowledge that you have inside. And so the more reference experiences you have, the more knowledge you have, the better quality questions you will generate and the better quality of thinking you do in general. So so I'm, I'm glad you went to that seminar and I know you're going to go to the Entre Leadership, like what is it called, Summit or something next year? Yeah, the, the big one. The biggie, <laughs> the big kahuna next year. <laughs> yep. I'm excited about that. Uh, we've got some other examples here of other, other companies, which I think these are great. Uh, we'll get to these in a second, but I am, I'm curious, you know, I mentioned that I liked the example of the 4am thinking time in your opinion, since you're kind of the expert on this, uh, do you think Nate asked in the chat in an ideal world that your frog should be your thinking time? Hmm. That's a good question. I have never made it my frog because, um, I like to tackle the hard things first thing in the morning. And one of the hard things for me is always creative writing or uh, writing in general. And so I, I always like to do that first because I can usually get myself to think or in think mode anytime I want to. So for me, that comes very easy. I can literally just like shut off my computer and lay in bed and start thinking about stuff. So it's not that hard uh, without, fall, without falling asleep. <laughs> or I can go to a coffee shop real quick and just fi- figure out a problem um, and just spend time thinking there. So for me, at least, like it doesn't have to be the frog because for me, the frog is usually something that is very difficult to do or has a lot of resistance. So by me doing that first thing in the morning, getting that out of the way, it gives me a lot of momentum to do other things later in the day, whether that's hard or easy. Anything that comes after the hard thing in the morning is always relatively easy to me. So I always like to do it anytime that uh, is scheduled and then do the, just the creative like hard things in the morning as my frog. So it if that is different for you, you could make it your frog, but I don't think there's like an ideal scenario either way. Gotcha. So maybe for somebody who is not finding the time to actually devote to thinking time, but they know that they need to do this sort of thing, then maybe that does fall into the category of a frog and something that you should do at the beginning of your day. Correct. Yeah. And Nate is asking a follow-up question. He says like, so it's not dependent on energy levels and willpower. 
And I mean, yes and no. Like, I think that always plays a factor for anything. Like, energy management is one of the fundamental things you want to figure out in order to increase your productivity in general, right? Like, if you don't sleep right, you're never going to be as productive. If you don't eat right, you're never going to be as productive. So, those are all things, you know, assuming you have that taken care of. Um, but thinking time, you can really apply anytime you want. And um, I always apply a certain quote unquote hacks with that. So as I mentioned, whenever I start thinking time, I always have iced green tea and there's a purpose behind that. Uh, it's one, it has caffeine, so it activates me. <laughs> the second thing is it has L-theanine in the caffeine for uh, with green tea. So it makes me very relaxing. So L-theanine actually relaxes you as well. So you have the caffeine and you have the L-theanine that's in the iced green tea or in green tea in general. So it makes me very relaxed. It makes me active. And that allows me to think clearly. And then also it's just, it's part of a ritual right now. So I'm sure you have the same thing with your coffee, Mike. Like when, when you pour your coffee, it's like a ritual and it gets you ready for whatever you're trying to do. And I bet you, most of the time you pour your coffee at the same time before you do anything or before you start a podcast, like you have a particular ritual or before you start writing, maybe you have a certain ritual. For me, thinking time is like getting that ice green tea and then starting my uh, thinking time. Yeah, actually, uh, I made a coffee right before we recorded the podcast. So that is definitely <laughs> a ritual that I, I have. <laughs> That's why you're in a good mood. Okay, I see, <laughs> I see. Yep. Yeah. But it's, it's something you're right that I I do on a consistent basis that I, and and I don't even know, uh, like I know intellectually that the caffeine is not going to kick in that fast, but it's almost like just the process of doing it tricks my body and my brain into being in go mode. (laughs) Exactly. Oh yeah. So one other thing I want to mention is one of the things that inspired me to teach the whole thinking time as well is, uh, and this is goes back to the whole idea thing you was, you were mentioning earlier is One of the things I notice is as you grow the business, there's always more opportunities and more ideas and more problems, as I mentioned, right? But especially the ideas would would come up a lot in the team. So one of the things we have is like, uh, everybody can submit an idea in the team. And whenever we do strategy meetings, quarterly planning, uh, the monthly meeting, the weekly meeting, like everybody can submit ideas, right? And ideas are great because they give you leverage and to give you options to say, okay, what's the next thing we want to do? And the more ideas you have, the better your options um, and the better your options, the better quality of life in general, right? So the challenge then becomes, okay, what's the right idea and what is the right time for this? So the value of an idea really comes down to one, does it solve or address a particular problem? And then two, is this the right time? And so as I'm getting all these ideas from all the team members, I'm, you know, my main thing is, okay, how do I figure out what's the right idea at the right time? And so you can have the right idea at the wrong time as well, and it could totally crush you. So for example, buying rental property was a really good idea in the early 2000s, let's say, you know, 2003, because the market was booming and everything was going great, right? So good idea, good time, great. Same idea, buying a rental property in, let's say, you know, 2008, you know, same idea, bad timing, totally crushed you, right? So 
when you have a list of ideas, you always have to look at, okay, the idea itself, but then also is the timing really the right time? And so if you look at other examples, like uh, a lot of people don't know this, but in 2001, there was this company called Webvan that uh, did the same thing that Instacart is doing today, which is delivering groceries. 2001, good idea, right? Delivering groceries, I think, is a fantastic idea. I mean, I haven't visited a grocery store in forever. <laughs> so to me, that's a genius idea. But in 2001, it was way too early. And now we're in 2017, and Instacart, I believe, started in 2012. Same idea, better timing, right? So to me, the right idea is something that is a solution to a core problem that we have identified. And then also it's being delivered at the right time. And so as you can imagine, Mike, like anytime we have all, all these ideas that come up, one of the things we always have to evaluate is, okay, this is a good idea, but is it the right time? Like, do we have mm -hmm. the resources for it? Do we have the skills? Is a marketplace ready for this? Or is a market already moved on? Like, these are all the things I'm always trying to figure out. And so one of the motivations for me to teach thinking time to the team is, hey, okay, let's continue to submit all these ideas, but let's add another dimension to it and say, okay, what, what about the timing of this? Does this timing make sense? Where's the trend? What is the market saying? Like, let's think about that. And then you know, reevaluate that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes, makes a lot of sense. I think that you've got some other examples listed here, but really it's just understanding the appropriate context. Like one example that comes to mind for me because I'm an Apple fanboy is uh, the whole idea of the Newton, you know, like that was an iPad before there was an iPad and it flopped. <laughs> uh, but the iPad obviously was a pretty successful, successful product. And I think that this kind of maybe leads into the four things that you have here on how to actually solve your problem. Uh, I think that that is the key difference between like the web van versus the Instacart, for example, and the timing is, yeah, the solution's the same, but the problem is a little bit different based on the, the specific timing. So maybe you want to talk to us about how we can actually solve the problem. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the nitty gritty details here. Cause this, this is what the people want, right? This is, this is the <laughs> yeah, thing. This is what people are asking for in the chat. <laughs> like I want to know the actual iterative process, Tim says. Okay. So it took us about 34 minutes to get into this, but trust me guys, this is going to change <laughs> our life as I mentioned at the beginning. So, okay. So there's actually a four step process that is very simple to explain. But once we get into the nitty gritty of everything, you'll start to see that it's actually pretty challenging to execute. So the four steps are step one, we want to have a very clear idea of what we want to have or where we want to go. So think about that as the goal, right? We want to have very clear vision, outcome, clarity around where we want to end up. So that is the goal. Then if we take it a step back, we want to have a very clear idea of where we are right now. And the emphasis is right now. Like if you have a clear picture of where you are right now and where you want to go, that distance in between is what we call the gap, right? So that is the gap. So then, and this is what I learned from Keith Cunningham in the seminar is, okay, in that gap, and this is step number three, there's, there's always an obstacle that's preventing you from getting to your goal. So a lot of times when we think about goal setting, 
right? We think about, okay, where we are right now, where we want to be, and then figuring out a way to get there, right? This is like traditional goal setting 101. You see this everywhere. So what Keith is saying, and this is something I took away from him, and I have to give, have to give credit to him for all of this stuff that we're talking about today, really. But what he's saying is, okay, in the gap that you have, there's always one obstacle. And what you have to figure out is, what is that one obstacle that is preventing you from the goal? Okay, once you identify the obstacle, then you go to step number four, which is building a process to overcome the obstacle. So you're building a process not to reach the goal, you're building a process to overcome the obstacle. So if, if you think about traditional goal setting, it's usually, okay, figure out the goal, where am, I, where am I right now? Okay, let's build a process or rituals and stuff like that and then get to the goal, right? And then just hope and pray that we're gonna get there. So what Keith is saying is, okay, yes, that's true, but what you really need to figure out is what is the obstacle and then build a process that just focuses on overcoming the obstacle. And so what he's claiming, and from what I've seen work really well in my personal life and also as we're implementing this at AE, is when you identify the obstacle and you overcome the obstacle, that's usually a new level of growth that then entails. And so you always want to figure out what the obstacle is. And that is usually the hardest part. And so we're going to go through some steps here as we're identifying each process here. But I want everybody to understand that, okay, there's really just four steps, right? Or figuring out the goal. Where are you right now? What's the obstacle? And let's figure out a process to overcome the obstacle. That's it. So it's, it sounds really simple, but as you'll see in just a little bit, it's actually a little bit more challenging than that. Yeah, I love this definition and these four steps. Uh, I really like the way that you explained it as well. And I think you're 100% right that a lot of people in the productivity space, like there's so much emphasis on the vision or the goal. And it's like, just get it out there and then success is inevitable. And that's not necessarily the case. What you're saying is that you can have that goal or the thing that you are running towards but it doesn't matter necessarily if you come to a river and you don't know how to swim. You have to figure out how to build the bridge to get to the other side so you can keep running and keep growing. Exactly, yeah. I, I really like that analogy, yeah. So it's just an extra way of preparing yourself to get the success rate you want to achieve the goal in a way, right? Because let's just say, okay, I'm in Austin right now and I want to get to your home, Mike. Like, okay, I know that you live in Wisconsin, right? I'm here in Austin. And I know that if I just walk enough, I will eventually get there, <laughs> right? But the obstacle could be like, you know, the weather. It could be like money, resources. Like what's what's the one thing that's holding me back from getting to your place, right? And this, this could be a lot of different things. And if I just build a process without identifying the obstacle, I could just say, okay, I'm just gonna walk there right? And I will figure out a way to get there. And I will just adjust along the way. And, you know, that is kind of like how we used to do things. And this is how I used to do things. But now I always, I'm always trying to think about, okay, I know what the goal is. I know where we want to go, but what's the one thing that is really holding me back here? Or another way to think about it is that this is something that Vern Harnish always talks about. The author of Scaling Up is, is when you, and you'll see me talk about this on team meetings all the time. You saw this this morning as well, what's the one constraint that's in the way? Because if mm -hmm. you overcome the constraint, usually everything else unlocks, right? Or um, if, if that 
uh, scenario doesn't resonate, like think about a domino. What's the one domino you need to push over so everything else moves forward? And so that's how I always like to see things now is, okay, when we're having goals in our personal lives or in business, okay, that's great. And, you know, we know usually what the process is to get there, but what's the obstacle that's standing in the way? What's the one big constraint that's standing in the way? What is the one constraint whenever we're playing Carcassonne that's preventing me from winning right now, right? (laughs) For me, it's playing with Tan. (laughs) (laughs) So you eliminate Tan out of the equation and then you usually win. (laughs) Right. Yeah, as you were talking about the domino example, uh, I'm reminded of the the one thing, I think it's Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, and they they articulate it in that book as what is the one thing that by doing this makes everything else easier or unnecessary. And that's exactly what you're talking about with the obstacle or figuring out the problem. And I know we've got some people asking about this in the, the chat also. So why don't we talk about the problem with problems? Because I think that this is where the real value of thinking time comes in. They're often misidentified. Yes. And like I said at the beginning, and I warned you guys, most problems you think you have are not real problems. So let me give you an example. This is something I was thinking about all the time for the last couple of years. And uh, as everybody knows, I'm pretty ambitious. You know, I used to think, man, Asian efficiency is not generating enough revenue. Like revenue is our problem. We're not generating enough sales. We're not attracting enough customers. Like this is the problem, right? So how do we overcome this problem? We're going to create more courses, right? And each time we release a new course, we generate more revenue, right? So I was thinking, okay, if revenue is the problem, then let's generate more courses. So we're going like bananas on our courses and, you know, and it's great. And it's, yes, indeed, it's generating more revenue. But then the problem kept coming up. It was like, okay, I'm still frustrated with our revenue levels. Like, what's going on here? And so it wasn't until I realized that revenue is not really the problem. And so, I'll, and what we identified over time is there's actually this other thing, which I don't know if we can talk about that publicly, but basically <laughs> the idea is revenue was not really the problem. Like, most businesses don't go out of business because they lack revenue right, is because they run out of cash. Once they run Mm -hmm. out of cash, like the business pretty much dies, right? So that could be a lot of problems. That could be like poor expense management. Like if you have more expenses than you generate revenue, then yeah, you're going to run out of cash and, you know, bye-bye business. So maybe like cash, you know, management of cash is a problem. Or um, maybe, you know, in business, it could be something like people are refunding a lot of your products, right? So your refund rate is really high. So you could keep getting more customers, generate more sales, but if that's not the real problem, and it turns out that, you know, people refunding it is actually the problem, then it doesn't matter how much more sales you're going to generate and how many more customers you're going to get, you're going to get the same problem, which is people are going to keep refunding your stuff. So the actual problem then is maybe like, the product quality is not that good or the way people to perceive the product is not good, right? And that is the real problem. Or, um, you know, so there's so many different things that are usually the root cause of something. And so whatever, and I, I will tell you right now, whatever you think your problem is right now, it's probably not the root cause. It's probably not the real problem. It's something else. And I'm going to walk you through in just a little bit on how that works. But I hope that sort of like gets you thinking a little bit about whatever problems you're having right now. As you'll start to see in a moment, it's not the real problem that you're dealing with. Yeah. So let's let's apply this to people's personal lives. 
Uh, a couple of examples that you had here were like overwhelm. So you have a bunch of options and you just can't manage them all or procrastination where you're feeling unmotivated and you can't get started. And I know that you mentioned in the show notes, like this is something that we hear all the time from people. If you were to just take a poll of the average person who's an agent efficiency customer and say, what's your biggest problem? What are you dealing with? They, they would say one of those two things most likely. Exactly. But you're saying that those aren't actually the issue. You want to give us some examples of what the real issues might be? Yeah. So overwhelm procrastination is a perfect example because like you said, I hear this every single day among our customers. I'm overwhelmed. I just don't know what to do or uh, I'm, I'm procrastinating. I'm not feeling very motivated to get started on stuff. So they think overwhelm or procrastination is the problem, right? So I actually like to say that, like I said, most problems are not really problems. They're symptoms. So overwhelm is... Let's say you have too many options and you don't know really how to manage it and how to address it, right? So then I would say, okay, that is actually the symptom because what I have found from just working with so many people is that overwhelm is the symptom of lack of clarity. So the real problem is no clarity around what you're really trying to accomplish. That is the real problem because once you have 100% clarity about what you want to achieve and what you want to do, then overwhelm really doesn't become an issue. Like if you have like 50 things to do on a given day and you feel like overwhelmed by all the things that are in front of you, if you have absolute certainty that you need to achieve X, anything that looks is standing in the way or is in front of you right now and doesn't align with X should not be even like taking on mindshare or mind space. So by having absolute clarity, a lot of the overwhelm usually gets addressed right away. Right, so overwhelm is the symptom of a problem, and the problem is not having clarity. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense, especially if you go back to the four things you need to do to solve your problem. Number one is have a clear idea of where you want to go. If you don't have a clear idea of where you want to go, and all you see is all of the little tasks that you quote unquote have to get done today, you have no way of differentiating which of those things are actually important and you should be working on, and which ones you should be looking to automate or delegate or get them off your plate so you don't have to do them anymore. So you never even get to to step two where you can have that clear idea of where you are right now because you have no idea of where you actually want to end up. Exactly. And then something similar is true for, let's say, procrastination, right? So a lot of people deal with procrastination and they blame it on like lack of willpower. They blame it on like being unmotivated and stuff like that. And like, like I always say, procrastination is not the real problem. It's a symptom of a problem. So what what is the real problem here? And this could be different things. So one could be just poor sleeping habits, right? If you sleep very poorly, you're more likely to procrastinate, right? So if sleep is an issue, we want to make sure we address that first because if you get enough sleep, procrastination is usually not an issue. And so... Uh, whenever I work with people and I hear that, I, I always one of the first thing I always dig into is like, you know, what is your lifestyle like? What are your sleeping habits and stuff like that? And oftentimes, like that's one of the poorest aspects of their lives. And once we address that, like things usually just move forward very quickly, right? So the obstacle in this case was like lack of sleep, right? And the real problem was like not going to bed in time. Uh, having a poor evening ritual and you know addressing all that stuff. Or it could also even be lack of clarity again, because when you have lack of clarity, 
you feel unmotivated, like you don't know what to do, right? And then you start to just easily get distracted, right? So then like you'll start to get ADD-ish, right? Like anything that comes in your way that just looks a little bit more appealing, like will immediately grab your attention. Whereas if you have absolute certainty and clarity about what you want to achieve, man, there's no ding, ding, dong, like notification that's going to stand in your way to get what you want to do. And so a lot of times when I'm working with people, those are the two things I always look for is like, you know, certain uh, lifestyle habits that they have that are, you know, causing all these symptoms or uh, lack of clarity that they're missing. And so if we can address those two major things, usually like 80% of the stuff gets addressed. And so when you're listening to this right now, if you think like, oh, GTD is the problem or like the system doesn't work for me or I don't feel motivated, like I need a new system. No, stop right now. Think about the root cause. What's the obstacle standing in the way? What is the real problem here? And I'm going to show you in just a little bit how to get to that. But I hope that really sort of clarifies to you that most problems you have are symptoms. They're not real problems. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially talking about looking for the the solution in an app or a system because it's it's not going to happen. I think that you really hit a nerve in in the Slack channel here when we're talking about the clarity. Uh, Nate says having a vision and operating principles changes total outlook on overwhelm. Lisa says my overwhelm happens when I ignore my vision and or goals and do something else. And this gets back to the the root issue people have with thinking time that we talked about at the very beginning where they say, I just don't have time to think. And I would argue you don't have time not to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's same thing with meditation. It's like, it's so easy to push aside and say, oh, yeah, I, I can do it later. Like I need to focus and do this. But the more you feel like that, the more you actually have to step away and step aside and say, okay, let me just get to the basics here. And this is something I always remind myself is like when things get crazy, let's just stick to the basics, right? So let's just sleep right. Let's just eat right. Let's work out consistently. Let's uh, stick to our morning ritual here and meditate. And let's continue to spend time thinking about stuff. Like if I can just get those basics in every single day, I'll be fine, no matter how crazy and stressful things might be. And oftentimes when things get really crazy and stressful, we we tend to move away from the basics. And we start to look for like the shiny new object, the the shiny new thing that's going to fix things, right? And no, we just need to figure out the basics and just stick to them as much as possible. Like whenever we have launches and stuff, I know things get crazy and like people are like yeah, all over the place and stuff like that. And it's always like, okay, let's just take a step back, guys. Let's just relax for a little bit. Breathe in, breathe out, chill. We're going to be fine. You know, we need everybody in a good state because if everybody's in a good state, we're going to create awesome stuff. If we're in a critter state, right, if we're all stressed out and like worried and stuff like that, we can never create good stuff. So we want to make sure we're always chill. And that's why I always want to make sure that, you know, before you and I get on a podcast, we're chill, we're happy, we're in a good mood, right? Before we teach uh, people on the team or we give a webinar or a presentation to people, we always want to make sure we're in a good mood because if we're in a good mood and a good state, things just happen, right? So that usually just comes from just sticking to the basics. <laughs> so assuming that you're in the right state, though, do you think it's fair to say that literally it's just the, if you create the time to think through your problems that you'll be able to identify them? Yeah. Like even without the framework, I'm going to show you in just a second, like just spending time thinking in general is going to change a lot of things on 
how you, you know, deal with problems that come on your plate, how you just deal with stuff that you have going on right now. But also it allows you to think a little bit more forward about all the things you want to do. And so just incorporating 30 minutes a week of just, just thinking literally will change your life. And it's, it's going to sound crazy. Just like, you know, I'm sure when you first heard about meditation, you're like, man, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just sitting still and doing nothing. Like, what is this really going to do for me? But once you actually <laughs> do it, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see the benefit. I, I got you. Like, this is great. Like, why haven't done this earlier? I'm telling you right now, it's the same thing with thinking time. Sweet. So how do we actually do this? Okay. So um, I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast many times, we've talked about figuring out, you know, your real why, right? So when you have a goal or habit you want to pick up, you always want to figure out what's the underlying motivation for me doing this, right? And usually you have to get to the surface or go beyond the surface to really figure it out. It's the same thing with problems. Most problems you have are symptoms. And so what we want to do is how do we have a process in place that allows us to really figure out what the root cause problem is. So we're, we're seeing the symptom at the top, but if we dig deeper and couple goes a couple steps further, that's when we're going to get to the root cause and the real problem here. And so, you know, we talk about the five whys exercise all the time in some of our courses here, especially in rituals. We talk about that a lot because it's so important for building sustainable rituals is that you know the underlying reasons for why you want to build a ritual, whether that's exercising, reading, whatever, you know, if you just have the strategies and tools, it's usually not good enough to sustain it. You want to make sure you have an underlying motivation to, to do that. And so that sort of framework also applies to figuring out the real problems. So thinking time, think of it as like spending time thinking through what the real problem is, right? So how do you do this? So first of all, um, we want to figure out on a surface level what the problem is. So again, whatever you think the problem is, it's a symptom, right? So I'm just going to say it as quote unquote the problem right now. So whatever it is the problem you have right now, just bring it up, you know, go to your room, go to a separate place right now where it's absolutely quiet and you can spend at least just 30 minutes thinking about whatever problem you're having, okay? So once uh, you have that, and it could be business or personal, it doesn't matter as long as it's a problem, I wanna, I wanna make sure you ask yourself these questions here. So if you're walking right now or you're at the gym right now, if you're in the car right now, stop right now. This is gonna change your life, guys. Like. Do whatever you do to stop right now. Write these questions down. And uh, I'll see if we can put them in the show notes for you as well for easy reference. But here's the questions I always use. And this is something I got from Keith Cunningham for figuring out the real problem here. You ready? You got your pen and paper ready? Okay, let's go. So first question. Why isn't this problem already solved? Why isn't this problem already solved? Two. Why am I not where I want to be? Why am I not where I want to be? Three, how did this get to be a problem to begin with? How did this get to be a problem to begin with? Four, what have been the impediments or constraints that have hindered me from solving this problem? What have been the impediments or constraints that have hindered me from solving this problem? Do you want to maybe give an example right here of what some of those impediments might be? Yeah, so there could be maybe a skill that you were missing 
or maybe uh, you didn't have a certain desire or maybe a certain resource. Maybe it was time. Maybe it was a certain discipline or maybe you were uh, missing a certain environment, right? So just to repeat the question again, what have been the impediments or constraints that have hindered me from solving this problem? This could be either skill, desire, resource, time, discipline, or environment, okay? So next question is, if I could only blank really, really well, I would have it all figured out. If I could only blank really, really well, I would have figured it all out. So whatever that blank is, fill that in for you. Uh, so we get three more questions coming up. Next one is, what could I do to make this problem even worse? What could I do to make this problem even worse? This is a great question because it gives you a different perspective looking mm-hmm. at the problem. Um, second to last question, what can be done today to improve the situation? What could be done today to improve this situation? And then the last question is, if I only had blank, I could solve this problem. So last question is, if I only had blank, I could solve this problem. I like that one. It's a little bit different way of framing question number six, which is if I could only do blank, and that's probably talking about a specific skill, Whereas if I only had blank, that's talking about a specific resource, which is not necessarily the same thing. You know, you may be able to do something. Maybe you're not the right person to do it. Maybe if you only had somebody to do that thing, then that could solve your problem in a different way. Yep, exactly. And I use this exact same framework that Keith taught me to solve every single problem that I have, whether that's at Asian efficiency or in my personal life. And all these questions sound really simple, but once you actually do them and you fill them all out, that list of questions, if you actually fill it in properly, will take you at least an hour, if not two hours, just to fully go through. Like the first three questions could take you like at least an hour already, if it's something that's you know of pretty significance uh, to you. And so like, if you ask yourself, why is this problem already solved? Like if you really think about that, that could be so many different reasons, right? Uh, why am I not where I want to be? There could be so many different things when you really think about it. And so I hope you start to see that um, you need this quiet environment where you're not distracted, where you're in a good place and a good mood to really think about these questions. And what you'll start to realize is once you walk yourself through these questions, by the end of it, the value is really in the last, like, let's say 10 minutes of your session. The, the real value comes from going through those questions and then having clarity coming out of this. Because again, a lot of problems that we're having in life is just because we lack the clarity. And so these set of questions essentially help us get clarity around the problem that we're having. And I was, as we always like to say, like a well-defined problem is like half the solution already. Right. So the better you can define your problem and really, in this case, figuring out the real problem, the easier the solution becomes. And so I always walk myself through the same question set because it's so powerful. It's really easy to implement. It's just, do you have, quote unquote, the discipline, the ritual, the, the thinking time in place to walk yourself through this list? 
because I will tell you right now, if you stop this podcast right now and just think about a problem you have right now in your life and walk yourself through this problem set with these questions, you'll start to see by the end of the session, like in the last 10 minutes or so, you're going to have absolute clarity of what the real problem is. And you'll start to realize, oh, this wasn't the problem. It was actually this. This was the real problem. Nice. So once we've identified the problem, then what do we do? So once you have that, you want to figure out the question. So this is something I noticed on the forum uh, because we had a thread going on there where people were asking like, how do you implement thinking time? What do you think about it? And one of the things I want to contribute there was, hey, in order to have a good thinking time question, you need to have a good question. And if you don't have a good question, your thinking time session is not going to be as powerful, right? So once you've gone through that process, you know, now you identified the real problem. And so the next step then is figuring out what is the problem question. So that's the concept here, problem question. So what I want you to do is write down, how might I dot, 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 dot. How might I dot, 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 dot. Right? So once you've walked through the whole uh, question set, you've identified the problem and now you got to figure out the question you're going to answer. And the better the question, the more ideas you will generate to come up with solutions, right? So when you have the problem question in place, then it gives you a new tool to say, okay, let's now generate ideas to address this. And so once I come up with a, how might I do this question, not only can I answer it myself and come up with a list of ideas, but I can also go to you, Mike, and I say, hey, Mike, how do we do this? Or I go to Brooks and say, hey, I have this question. How might I do this? And Brooks might come up with all these ideas. And then I can give the ideas to the whole team. And now we have this whole brain power going on where everybody's working on the same problem that is identifying the real obstacle here that's standing in the way from where we want to be. And then, you know, things just go kabooza and kabang and and all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, so you have some examples here of good problem questions and bad problem questions. You want to walk through these? Yeah, so again, a good problem question is something that's very specific. And if you want to get a very generic list of questions, I'm going to give you a bunch here as well that you can just use in general for whatever you want to do. Um, but I want to show you like some some good questions and some bad questions. And, and your overarching theme is, Generally, really good questions are actually very simple. And usually the simpler they are, and also the more specific they are, the better. So to give an example of a good question, one might be, why are people not buying from me? Sounds very simple, but it could be so complex when you're really trying to figure it out, right? So why are people not buying from me? This is a great question when you're in business. Even if you have a successful business already, there's always people not buying from you. So what what could be potential reasons, right? So that's a great question. Another good question is, what is the biggest point of failure in the business? What is the biggest point of failure in the business? And this could be, again, a lot of things. A lot of times people don't want to think about this sort of stuff, but it's a crucial question you want to ask yourself. Uh, another one might be, what do I need to do to replace myself in the business in the next six months? Sounds like a very simple question, but the solution to that is actually very complex. Yeah. And this is something I noticed, Mike, too, as well, is that a lot of times when you ask yourself really simple questions, they look simple on the outside, but when you really think about it, the solution sometimes could take years to put in place, right? Yes. 
Exactly. Uh, that's what stood out to me in the list of good generic questions and bad questions, because the bad questions, I kind of think these are very tactical and there is a very obvious solution already. And it's just a matter of implementation. Whereas the good questions that you listed there, there really isn't an obvious right answer, which is why you should devote the thinking time to figuring it out. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because you put it way better than I could. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. So some of these bad questions real quickly, I can run through these. Like, how do I integrate OmniFocus with BusyCal is one example you have. Uh, how can I remember more thoughts? What's the best way to be more productive? Like you said, that's that's very tactical and yeah, you can figure out how to fix that one thing, but it really doesn't make as big of an impact as the good generic questions that you mentioned. Uh, and it really gets into like the five whys exercise. Like, why do you want to integrate OmniFocus with BusyCal? Why do you want to remember more, remember more thoughts? What's the tangible benefit of doing those things? I think before you can even understand that, if you don't understand that, then you there's you have no business asking these types of questions. But these are the types of things that can occur if you follow a lot of the stuff in the productivity space, especially because you see, oh, I started using this app and it completely made my, <laughs> completely changed my life. And people are like, oh, well, I need to use that app. I need to figure out how to maximize that particular tool when it's really bigger than that. Exactly. And one of the things I never understood until the whole thinking time really solidified for me was I remember Peter Thiel, um, the author of, I think it's called Zero to One, that book. Um, yep. Didn't, didn't you read it? I did not, but it's it's on my list. It's on my list too. I haven't read it yet, but I, I've, I've seen him pop up everywhere. And uh, so just so you know who he is, like he... Uh, it's a big investor in Facebook. I believe he was one of the early founders of, uh, or co-founders or part of PayPal. And he's like super successful billionaire right now and all that stuff. And he's all about like life extension and like it's, has like crazy ideas about <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But one of the things I've, I've noticed among billionaires, and this is just particular to billionaires that I've noticed, is at least one of the things they always talk about is one of the things they can tell they're like how how smart somebody is or how capable somebody is by the questions they ask and i never under understood that and i was like like that doesn't make any sense like what kind of questions they ask like i don't get that but now that i don't understand thinking time i understand now what they really mean because when you ask really good questions you'll start to come up with like like stuff, I guess. Like I can't curse on this, but um, <laughs> like now I now I really really get it. Like the better questions you ask, the better the outcomes you will usually hit, because you're going to generate better ideas and better solutions and all that stuff. So one of the questions he asked himself was, "How can I achieve my ten year goal in twelve months?" Like it's such a simple question. But when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, like why don't I think about that sort of stuff? You know, and then you'll, mm -hmm. then you'll start to come up with ideas. Of, okay, how do we shortcut this? How do we, you know, what kind of radical improvements or innovations do we need to implement to make this happen? You know, so the quality of your question really dictates a lot of your thinking and the, and the solutions and the results and the speed of implementation of everything. It's just like, now I really get it. Like the, we need to really spend time 
asking better questions. And this is something I'm personally working on, you know, and once I get better at it, I want to, you know, teach it to everybody here on the podcast and to the team because I think it's going to benefit everybody. Yeah. Uh, Nate, I, I love the way he put this in the chat. He says, it sounds like the bad questions are questions that focus on specific technologies or frameworks, whereas the good questions deal with more generic problems without starting from a specific solution point. I really like that because if you if you approach it from through the lens of, I know what solution I want to implement already. Then you just have to figure out the how. But the really va- the real value of the, the thinking time is really connecting the why. Mm. Yep. Now at this point you might be wondering, okay, Tan, Mike, how do we implement this? Like that sounds great. Like how do we actually implement this? I'm like, okay, let's just get to the nitty gritty details here for you. So I would actually recommend that you spend 30 minutes a week just to get started on this. So 30 minutes a week, put it on your calendar and get very specific. So where do you want to do it? How long are you going to do it? 30 minutes. Where are you going to do it? Maybe in your room or maybe at a coffee shop. Okay. Um, what would be the ideal scenario? Like, what would you, like, would you have a coffee or something? Like, what kind of ritual can you build around this to make it an ideal environment where it's quiet and you can get focused? Um, what kind of resources would you need? Okay, you need pen and paper just to get started with, right? Something else to complete the ritual is before you get started, know a problem that you want to address, okay? Know the problem you want to address. And then lastly, uh, take the list of questions that we talked about earlier and just walk through that set of questions and maybe just take like one or two questions to get started if that uh, gives you enough time to 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 work on things and then over time you know try to complete the rest and ideally over time you want to spend at least like an hour an hour and a half or so to walk through that whole problem set at once because the real value really comes when you do them all at once in one session that's when you get the most value and so we're going to slowly work towards that but i want to say spend at least 30 minutes a week just getting started whether that's you know something for your personal life for your business just 30 minutes of thinking time is a good way to get started I think that's very practical, very actionable advice and a a great place to end. Uh, I like that the 30 minute block, you know, that's something that no matter how busy you, you happen to be, that's something you can probably work into your schedule if it is indeed a priority for you. And then from there, it's scalable as you continue to sharpen the saw and things continue to get easier. You've got more time to devote to the thinking time. Yep. And remember, guys, every major change in life starts with small steps. So let's just get started with 30 minutes. Let us know in the comments on the show notes if you've been able to implement this. I would love to hear your feedback. The inspiration for this week's episode came from a forum thread inside the dojo, our online productivity community. The Dojo is a place to connect with like-minded achievers who can help inspire you and hold you accountable for reaching your goals. In addition to providing productivity tips to help you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus, you'll have the support of some of the smartest and most productive people on the planet who can help you learn from their own personal experiences so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. The dojo is currently closed to the public, but if you go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo, You can not only get access to the community, but also a private video training library with new video modules that are released every single month and access to the private Slack team where you get direct access to myself, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. And the best part is that you get all of this for just $1 for your first month. 
After that, it's $29 a month and you can cancel at any time. With membership to the Dojo, you also get exclusive software discounts on some of our favorite productivity apps like BusyCal, Hazel, and Text Expander. So if you want to join a community that can help you achieve your goals, check out the Dojo today by going to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Don't forget, you can find links to everything that we discussed today and the link to download the thinking time questions for yourself in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 162. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Productive Monday.